that somebody goes ask for love and knows how to take it. Is that a song or are you crying? Yeah, I'm crying, but also singing. <laughs> so before we start this week's episode, I think we need to uh, address the elephant in the room. Yeah, um, Jeremy I've is... gained 25 pounds. He is also eyebrowless, which is very confusing. That was a um, choice. Yeah, they, you, I didn't lose them. I shaved them. Okay, well, you can tell them what you want. but Now, okay, the actual elephant in the room, well, not the elephant in the room, but some uh, new listeners that might be joining us this week. We wanted to give a quick thank you to Hillbilly Horror Stories. I've been a fan of their show for a really long time, and they're great people. They were uh, nice enough to let us do a segment on their show. It's so cool that they had us on. It was a big honor, for sure. A lot of their viewers decided to hop over to our podcast. They liked it, and we really appreciate them taking the time. Yeah, thank you for uh, joining us now. The five people that were listening beforehand, <laughs> hey, you, uh, I know you, you know me. So uh, we're just super appreciative of uh, Hillberry, Hair, Hairberry, Hairberry, to the Hairberry Laboratory. <laughs> you ever heard of them? Oh, why didn't we get on their show? It was an awesome experience, and we got a bunch of earballs yeah. on our podcast. So it's, it was great. Like it'll snowball into more earballs. Okay, well, wherever that ended up, um, <laughs> I, we just wanted to throw that out there. Make sure all you beautiful people know that we appreciate you very much. Um, but we'll jump into the actual episode now. Yeah. Warning, the following podcast is a shit show, and the individuals you are about to meet are idiots. Their opinions, anecdotes, and advice contain zero nutritional value. This is the critical human condition and all of its strangeness. This is life, according to an idiot. Hello and welcome to According to an Idiot. I'm Jeremy. Sitting across from me is Kaylee. Welcome. And below both of us are the fiery depths of hell. (laughs) So... I'm shaving my head now, I guess, because someone randomly told me on Reddit to. Yeah, okay, wait, so back up and... (laughs) (laughs) How did this... Uh, We're uh, starting here! Yeah, (laughs) strange jumping off point. Um, So how how did this happen? Okay. Yeah. So as a gay woman, I have to show my gay by cutting all my hair off. Um, but also, I've always wanted to. Hair was a safety blanket for me for so long. Yeah. And I've slowly been, like, cutting it shorter and shorter just to, like, test the waters. Mm-hmm. And just as, like, an extra little boost, I posted on Reddit hair advice. Just, I don't know, reassurance that other random people that if they saw me would be like, hey, that pixie cut looks good on you. Yeah. You know. Right. I got a private message from this person that said they have an extremely bold hairstyle makeover advice for me and then left it at interested. And 10 seconds later, they send me this paragraph that I need to shave my head. Shave your head. They say, quote, you would look like a goddess (laughs) (laughs) with your head shaved. Uh, It's not a normal hair advice, but I promise you that you will love it if you do it. Reasons for the advice. Okay. They list it for me, which is good, because I don't think I could do a shaved head. But um, we're going to listen to their advice and see what happens. Okay. Uh, Number one, it's for people who are lazy in life. I don't know what they're insinuating here. (laughs) (laughs) You're lazy, okay. Uh, Apparently, I have a lazy face. Lazy eye, uh, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Next advice, great for the scalp. (laughs) <laughs> you know, yeah. Quote, the new hair would be the best hair you would have had in a while. 
<laughs> and I don't know what oh, they mean by that either. Like, I is all my it. hair choices just shit? Well, I think they're assuming like a chia pet. Like, it's going to regrow. And it's going to be well. It's going to be brand new follicles. Brand new. When was the last time that you could look at your hair and say those are all new? Well, considering hair still grows. Okay, I don't want you to get sciencey with it. Uh, it. I would say always. So the next advice: it's be unique. And I feel like having your head shaved definitely says you're bold. It says you're bald. That's true. You are bald. Uh, and then they end it with, it's really crazy to advise a girl to do this. Perhaps you got one life. <laughs> I hope so. Uh, <laughs> try it to know it. Worst case, wigs to rescue. I don't want to buy a wig if I hate it. I'll buy you a wig. Wigs are expensive as hell. I'll, I'll buy you the cheapest wig I can find. Oh my God. I'll buy you the worst wig. Just because it's hilarious. Uh, thank you for the advice. I don't know that I'm ready for that yet, but I'll c- think about it. So I'm I'm happy you guys are here. I'm happy you're listening. Yeah. Um, and I I got a I got a treat for you guys today. Oh boy. So Jeremy. Yes. People say I look better without glasses. Mm-hmm. I just can't see it. Get the fuck out of my face. <laughs> <laughs> um. So I'll. I guess I'll segue into a... I guess you will. <laughs> um, do you want to do a Tinderella or you want to just jump yeah, into this? it's time to do a Tinderella. Okay. Tinderella? Would you mind if I spread Nutella on her butt and ate it? So this is Bobby. He is mid-20s. He says, my name is Bobby. I don't really have a set hobby. But I know I like Harleys, not Rockets, and phones that can fit in my pocket. I'm down to earth. I know my worth. I don't like tattoos. Aw, boo-hoo. Sorry, not sorry. I don't like stickers on a Ferrari. I work hard. I don't twerk hard. I'm realistic, not materialistic. Don't judge my rhyme. I just had some time. All right, well, enough too with that. Let's chat. <laughs> <sighs> I've never simultaneously loved and hated something so much <laughs> as that bio. It's the best, worst thing I've ever heard. And it just that that wrap-up at the end. Let's chat. Let's chat. All right. I know you guys are all waiting to hit, hit up my, my DMs. <laughs> Let's start right now. Would you ever use a rhyme in your bio? It depends on how long the rhyme is. That was, uh, that was pretty that long. Was, that, that was a long... That was like a, more than a stanza. It's the content, too. <laughs> that was of his character uh, it was the content <laughs> yeah. and the lack of commas but i like to imagine that maybe he is in fact some sort of like descendant of uh, like an ancient forest gnome that ah. they, they did his people were used to guarding passageways you have to solve a, a rhyming riddle and then you can get the the gold or you know it speaks and rhymes. yes yes all right this young woman is named oh let me guess she's uh, she's a Trista. Trista, I like that. <laughs> Trista says, At the very core of my being, there is a pen. Oh, fuck. This pen is constantly poised. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Ready? T- <laughs> oh, man. This is going to be tough. Okay. Ready to jot down whatever inspiration life and nature brings? Oh, fuck. I have had a tough past. My heart is hidden behind shields of rock, but my soul is ready to find you. Beautiful sentiment. 
Fuck. Trista is a poet. She's not. Tr- she's like a Christie. I know. How many hardships have you gone through? Watch it be like a really bad hardship. How old is she? Like she's actually quite young. I got that vibe. My mom like only bought me an iPad for you Christmas. Don't understand. Seriously, don't talk about it. Like I honestly, like I'll never get over it. I'll probably kill her. I, I can't believe she would demonstrate how much she doesn't love me like that in front of the family. Grandpa was there. <laughs> it might be his last Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Uh, literally. <laughs> that was our Tinderellas. How did that feel going down your throat? Uh, it felt like a pen that was poised to go right through my yeah. heart. Yeah. Now I'm kind of poised to uh, jump into our topic today. This uh, week. So Jeremy. Yeah, what's up, dude? I think I I think I picked the topic this week, right? I believe you did. Yeah. We're going to be talking about some good old prophecies. Yeah. Oracles. Fortune telling. Let's see what the future has in store this week. Sharing their curiosity to know the unknown, their tension, their readiness for inconceivable adventures. Is it human or inhuman? Earthly or unearthly. The cards can reveal things that you will never see by yourself. Nostradamus claimed he could see well into our future. Future! Future! Unbelievable. Fantastic. But I tell you, it could happen. Kaylee, if you could know your future, would you? Would you want to know? Uh, and to what extent? I would like to know the good stuff. I don't want to know the bad stuff. Like, I don't want to know when I'm going to die. But you want to know when you're going to get a money. Get a money. Yeah. Like, I can look forward to it. I'll know at this point in my life I'm going to meet the love of my life. My soulmate, my true love. But, like, if you knew something really awesome was going to happen and he had it spoiled for you? Yeah, that's true. Some people would say... If they could tell you, like, the bad thing that would happen to you, maybe that would help because you would have some time to prepare or it would be worse because you knew it was coming up. You tried to stop it. And we all know that when you mess with fate, fate messes back. Hell yeah. This summer, Dwayne The Rock Johnson (laughs) is the fortune teller. (laughs) What about you? Would you want to know your future? I would want to know, like, a very vague, like, you're going to be okay. Okay. I definitely don't want details. I certainly don't want to know when I'm going to die because I would try to stop that. Yeah. Well, I would be paranoid as hell. If movies have taught me anything, it's that I would create a paradox. Right. And then time would collapse in on itself. Uh, I imagine there would also be a romantic subplot somewhere in there. But also tell me good things are coming my way. I am going to meet the love of my life. I am going to get married. I'm going to be happy. But you know what? I can tell you that's all true. Is it, though? You can't guarantee it. I can guarantee you this. Good things and bad things will happen to you. That's true. You're a fortune teller. I'm a fortune teller. This summer, Dwayne the... Me. (laughs) So in general, fortune telling is the belief that the universe has a pattern, and one can use clues and methods to distinguish these patterns so you can predict what will happen. So I'm going to start off by talking about some ancient fortune-telling methods. Yeah. You'll be familiar with some of them. Other ones will seem different and bizarre. These methods include things like astrology, numerology, and using objects to predict these patterns. So I'm just going to jump into a few different types. I'm not going to go too in-depth, 
Jeremy, feel free to expand mm-hmm. on any of these. Uh, but a big one is pyromancy. You could see this in Game of Thrones, like with Melisandre and oh, yeah. the like red priestesses. Yeah. They would stare into the fire. And this was a practice back in ancient Greece. Followers of the god, you probably know how this is pronounced, hmm. Hepatitis. Hepatitis. Hephaestus. Hephaestus. The Greek god yeah. of the forge. Yeah. Hephaestus. Hephaestus. Yeah. He's actually my favorite Greek god. Yeah. He's called cool. These people too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> but they believed that they could communicate with him through fire. They said that the shape of the fire was a sign from spirits of future news. If an object was thrown into the fire, the way it burned would predict the future. For example, if an object you threw into the fire burned very quickly with no smoke, it was a sign of good things to come. Hmm. And if it was not burning at all, then... It was like devastating, detrimental news. Oh, my God. No harvest this year. (laughs) (laughs) Did you see how that's related to anthropomancy? Did you see how it's related to that with fire? Uh Uh-uh. This is a little bit darker than that. This practice called anthropomancy. Uh, It's you kill. You kill. (laughs) (laughs) You kill humans in this situation. They take a human. They split them open from the chest. Rearrange their organs. Look at the color of the organs, the color of the blood, the screams the person is making, mm-hmm. and they use that to predict the right. future, whether it's going to be a good harvest, whatever, yeah. fortune in some way. So there's a place where pyromancy and anthropomancy sort of combine, mm-hmm. and that is around the Neolithic era, Gaelic druids. Mm-hmm. These were pagans. You got to th- remember that. Yeah. So the druids would place sacrifices into what was called a wicker man. So what they would do is they'd get a bunch of sticks and they would build this massive man-shaped effigies and they'd put mm-hmm. uh, sacrifices inside them, like build it around them. Uh. And then they would set the man on fire. And like a, as they're would... alive? Yeah. Well, they would set the, the big man that was filled with all yeah. the little men on fire. But all the little men are... Alive. Oh. Yes. Uh. The druids would read the future in accordance to the specific smell produced by the burning. What? As well as the color of the flames, like you were saying, and how long the sacrifice took to die. <laughs> you have this entire structure of burning people, and you have this priest just like with a clipboard. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Smells burnt. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Looks a little more orange today. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this one's really yellow. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I was just saying the same thing. I Pete. think uh, yellow equals corn. Good <laughs> yeah. corn harvest. <laughs> oh, man. We're going to get a lot of birds this year. (laughs) I'm glad we did this. Uh, So the next one I was going to briefly mention was the long man. This is also called the medicine man or shaman. And this is in Native American culture. It's also in North Asia. You see it a lot. Oh, yeah. Like Himalayas and stuff. Mm -hmm. The long man in particular uses signs from the river and analyzes movements of beads in order to predict the future. Really? So specifically, what they would usually do is the long man would kind of stay around the river bed. So you would have to come to the river to seek out the long man. And he would analyze the river flow. Based on that, he could predict what was going to happen. So if you had an undisturbed, free-flowing river, that meant that you were going to have many years of life left. Okay. But if he noticed a log or a leaf in certain areas, it could predict someone dying or misfortune going okay. on in your life. Yeah. If you really didn't like somebody, you could wait until they went down to see the shaman or the long man. Right. You could wait at the other end of the river and just start throwing sticks and twigs and rocks. Right. And he's just like convulses. And the shaman's <laughs> so like, dude, much... you're so dead. You're fucked. He's like, dude, call your mom. <laughs> call your mom now. 
I don't know. Like that's that's such a strange thought that's, to me. There's a lot of stuff like that where they're really just sort of saying, Meh, this is your life. Sticks floating in a stream. Yeah. It's always up to chance. Right. But like this is like even weirder because just like I could sit by a river and look for sticks. You right. Know, what does this shaman got like, that I Like don't? how long do you wait? Right. When do you stop? Because like what if there's a big branch coming your way? But he's like, okay, now that you're done. That right. was your river time. Depending on when you go to seek out the long man changes your future too because it's fate you're supposed to see the long man at this time okay so you did and so that's when he is supposed to read the river for you because that's your time like you're supposed to see the long man when you're supposed to see him yeah 4 30 p.m i I got scheduled yeah and if i don't i'm not going to get the best fortune yeah but if you know your destiny you're more likely to just follow that path that is a conundrum Ah. but that, that reminds me of this of this little quote i found there's um I guess there's an old Greek cynic philosopher named Demonax, which is a badass name. He was sort of like a Socrates where he had a student that then wrote a book about his life. So in this book, it says, upon seeing a soothsayer, which is another word for a fortune teller, upon seeing a soothsayer make public forecasts for money, Demonax said, quote, I don't see on what ground you claim the fee. If you think you can change destiny in any way, you ask too little, however much you ask. But if everything is to turn out as heaven has ordained, what good is your soothsaying? So he's saying, like, if you're legit, you should be charging more money. Right. And why would you bother learning your future? Yeah. Especially if it can't be changed. So move on to the next one. Uh, Zoomancy, which is more well known, I guess. It's the behavior of animals mm-hmm. using animals as cosmic warnings. And this is actually has some truth to it. Because dogs and cats can predict earthquakes. That's true. Or hurricanes. Think, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they can predict it before it actually happens. So I'm assuming that played some part. We know that roosters call when day breaks. Right. So like there's some ingrained wisdom we see in that. Also, there's that whole thing too about when a cow is laying down mm-hmm. and it's going to rain that day or the next day or whatever. Right. Or when like your cat's staring at a corner in the room, you know, a ghost is there. You know, there's a ghostie there. Yeah. And birds. And birds, you know, parrots talk. So Yeah, they'll just tell you. They'll just say, hey, go to the river. Oh, yeah. oh God. That'd be terrifying. Long man. Long man. Long, Long man. I hate it. Stick in the river. <laughs> uh, on the topic of zoomancy, I looked into a couple like specific deviations of it. So you've got arachnomancy, which you can assume is spiders. Right. In China, it was actually customary for a lady-in-waiting which I guess is like a friend slash secretary of like a royal or something. Kind of. They're, they're also high in society. They like high ladies. High ladies. But they're not royalty, like a baroness or something. Okay. But that they're like a lady in waiting because they wait on like the royal. Right. They're not that cool. Yeah. Yeah. They're not the main one. So they have to wait on the right. other cool one. Yeah. They're on, the, they're on the cheer squad. But when they make that like human pyramid, they're definitely at the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so those people, on the seventh day of the seventh month, it was customary for them to catch a spider and place it in an incense box. On the following morning, the eighth day, the box would be opened, and if the spider had spun a web inside, it was a good omen. And if they didn't, it was apparently a really bad omen, which means like they wouldn't find love or something. Oh, God. So here's some spider omens that I think would really help you out. Just so you know, if you see a spider in the morning, that means that grief will soon cross paths with you. Oh, Okay. If you see a spider in the evening, that means there are financial hardships ahead. You don't want to see spiders. Don't want to see spiders. However, if you see a spider in your clothes, money is coming your way. I don't want a spider in my clothes. (laughs) But you get money. (laughs) It's like compensation from the universe. I know it's gross there's a spider in your shirt, but now you get a dollar. Um, (laughs) If you see a spider actively spinning a web, someone is plotting against you. 
Charlotte would have been really upset. Yeah, she never got to finish her plan. She was going to kill Wilbur. No, yeah. But she died before she... You remember she died in childbirth. Right, yeah. Remember that part of the book where she, the spider dies in childbirth? Fuck that book. But just so you know, if you ever see a black spider enter your house, it just means death. All spiders are black. Most spiders are black. <laughs> <laughs> All spiders are bad, I you guess, is what they're saying. Yeah, but they're much. not. Some of them give you money and some of them eat mosquitoes. Totally. And if you walk into a spider web, actually, it's said that you'll meet a friend that day. Aww. That's kind of sweet, right? Yeah. I walked into a spider web when I met you. So did I. Yeah. And now I'm trapped like a goddamn bug. <laughs> Change gears now to electromancy. Ooh. This is- uh, That doesn't sound animal-like. I know. Is it eels? Um, <laughs> no, it's like alec, like electromancy. Uh, divination uh, using a cock or a hen. Like a chicken. I'll just say chickens. Yeah. I don't want to say cock. <laughs> what am I? Uh, so chickens were placed in a circle with a bunch of letters. There was grains and seed placed by each letter. The chicken would peck at grain, whatever they, whatever <laughs> letter they pecked by, someone would be like writing that shit down and be like, okay. And they would unscramble it like a word I, I just imagine them crouching over, breathing heavily, like, yeah. oh, which one you got to peck at? <laughs> F, F? We got three Fs in a row. <laughs> Fucking Wheel of Fortune. Oh, uh, yeah, Pat, I'd like to buy a vowel, please. <laughs> I'll end with this one. Okay. Feli domancy. Uh, this is zoomancy involving cats. The cat's movement, behavior, specifically how they jump or land. Remember we talked about this, I think, in the vampire episode about how when an animal jumps over a corpse, they think it's going to be a vampire. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So the cat jumps over the corpse like, oh, that's either a vampire or... Um, really ugly person. Or it's a really... Your cat doesn't like them. If a man dreams of a cat and it scratches him in the dream, that means that his sweetheart is a harsh-tempered, overbearing woman. If a woman has the same dream, that means she has a rival. <gasps> Don't we always have rivals? You know women. In uh, this age of social media. True. Nah. Let's hard, not get too political for... now. <laughs> <laughs> Let me dial my political correctness uh, meter up and talk about some tassiography. Hmm? What is that, you are probably saying, well, sweet child, it is reading tea leaves. Oh. Reading tea leaves is when, um, I'm sure you can imagine, you brew some tea and then you drink it and then the tea leaves settle at the bottom of the cup after you've drink, dr drinking, drinking. Uh, I believe the word you're looking for is sippy pood. You have drank all the tea and where the tea leaves settle can predict your future. So some examples, if you get an uh, object or if you get an outline, what am I trying to say here? If you get a shape. A shape. One of the first words you learn. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> a shape of a snake. It means that there's someone untrustworthy in mm. your life or someone that will come into your life. And mountains, if you get a mountainscape, uh, yeah. it can mean that there's an obstacle in the way of your goal. Okay. If you get a grim reaper, you'll probably die. Yeah, it was kind of interesting about the tea thing, though, which I didn't know. Is that the way they see the shapes, a teacup, it's, it's like typically white china or like a brightly colored china yeah. with the black, dark tea leaves. The shapes that you see in the black typically are bad omens mm -hmm. and shapes that you see in the white are good. Ah, interesting. So moving on to scrying. Scrying, I think, is the most interesting. It's like crystal balls. Yeah. But it can be done with any reflective surface, mirrors, water, crystals. The theory is that you can get into touch with your unconscious mind and the realm of the soul. It's really just meditation. One interesting story I got from this. In the 16th century, Queen Elizabeth's advisor, John Dee. John Dee. Was, I know about this yeah, guy. Yeah, was known for 
this act to predict the future. I think he was also a mathematician. Bloody Mary was Queen Elizabeth's older sister. She came to power before Elizabeth did, but she actually tried to get Queen Elizabeth well, she wasn't queen at this point, but she actually wanted to have her beheaded and killed quite a few times. With a name like Bloody Mary? That surprises me. Right. So he predicted that Mary would die and Elizabeth would take the throne. Uh, John Dee was thrown into jail for witchcraft, but a few years later, the prediction came true. Ultimately, Bloody Mary died from a tumor in her abdomen. She believed that she had gotten pregnant like Mary, never had sex, she was virgin, and she all of a sudden started growing a belly. Which really helps with the whole idea of the royals being like divine. Yes, she was like all about it, went out, announced it to all these people, everyone was buzzing, you know, our queen. She bought Um, a stroller. Yeah, but the... The king was like, well, I didn't do this. Like, don't look yeah. at me. You know, Gross. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, you know, nine months go by and there's no baby. A little overdue. And Bloody Mary's just like so embarrassed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, maybe this isn't a baby at all. And then she died of cancer. So. Oh, shirt. All right. So. That really bothers me for some reason. I don't know why. She killed a shit oh, ton so of people. Oh, so she deserved it. She was, I mean, it's almost like symbolic. The more people she killed, the bigger her tumor got. (laughs) So Elizabeth was the next in line for Mm -hmm. the throne. So she came to power. Elizabeth released John Dee from jail and made him her advisor. Yeah. Naturally. Leaders back then loved magic people. Fuck. They're just like, you "You know stuff? You're on my team. I love you. Here's money. I mean, it'd it'd be better to have him on your team than against. So Elizabeth, to keep from the witchcraft and dark magic, Rumors claimed that it was white magic from God and that he was speaking to God and that he could speak to angels. He began delving into this practice heavily and he would draw these strange symbols claiming that they were a language taught to him by angels. Mm, Sounds like someone's gone off their meds. It's kind of like he did one good prediction and then he's just like, I I can do more. I can do more. I'm the chosen one. I can't remember what museum it is, but it's a museum in... I want to say London. It's the Detroit Science Center. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but they actually have his writings, like his symbols. Oh, really? Like, did anything ever come out of, out of that? No, I don't think so. I think That's he just kind of went crazy and Elizabeth was like, eh. He went crazy from the right. angels. Moving on to the real juicy bits, astrology. Oh. So in a broad sense, astrology is a, quote, science that claims to divine information about human affairs and terrestrial events by studying the movements and relative positions of stars and planets. In the modern sense, we commonly associate it with zodiac signs. So you have your Virgo and your Cancer, and depending on what time you're born of the year, you correspond to a certain zodiac sign, and that gives you certain personality traits. Yeah. Was there like ever a time when you were interested in astrology or like horoscopes? No. No? It's a big lesbian thing, which kind of drives me crazy. And I mean, it doesn't hurt anyone. No. So there's no harm in believing in astrology, but it's like huge it's like almost the biggest cats like really? every lesbian has a cat and loves astrology yeah like, cats and star sign? signs the stars determine personality i'm not saying that your personality isn't affected by your star sign or whatever i'm just saying that maybe if you're a dick <laughs> don't blame the planet mercury <laughs> back in the olden days because 
there was time before us. What? Astrology began in Mesopotamia and the Babylons. God, everything started in Mesopotamia. Right? From about 3000 BC. God, that's real old. They were the ones that originally noticed the zodiac constellations and named them. Okay. The Greeks linked the planets and stars with gods, making them humanesque. More character to it, yeah. Right. Like Leo and stuff like that. Yeah. Gemini the slut. <laughs> But it was also largely popular in India from about 1000 BC, and it's still a major part of society today. A large practice in India is that you can't get married without having a horoscope drawn up. Yeah. Have you ever, like, really gotten your horoscope? Uh, probably. What's your <laughs> sign? What is this, Tinder? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> uh, Taurus. Okay. I'm a Virgo, so we're destined from the stars to be friends. Is that a thing? Get along, yeah. Virgos and Tauruses get along well. Huh. Modern astronomy is based on astrology, which covers measurements of planets and prediction of eclipses. Astronomy kind of came from started astrology. astrology. Yeah. Right. Through analysis of the revolutions of the stars with conjugations of the planets, it was possible to understand great events of the world, such as plagues, death, famine, floods, warts, <laughs> and yes. the rise and fall of kingdoms. I like that warts was before the rise and fall <laughs> of kingdoms. <laughs> so, like, we can predict the plague, but if you prefer, I'll predict your warts. <laughs> yeah. Also, a dynasty will crumble. <laughs> I don't care about that. Just tell me about the warts. The big one I want to talk about is judicial astrology. Okay, all right. In a short sentence, this is described as God's judgment announced in the stars. So this is a big, hold on, fortune-telling aspect of astrology. It was practiced in the 16th century, and basically the belief was that the skies would talk about the world and the future of its inhabitants. So prophecies could be gathered from the path of the stars and that the gods would kind of arrange the stars in a manner to which us lowly peasants would be able to interpret and see our future in. This is kind of in line with astronomy. You could measure the stars and where they would go. So ancient oracles, I guess you would say, could use this to kind of predict the future. Yeah. If that makes sense. Kind of. Because they knew where the stars were going to be heading. Uh, so this practice was mentioned by Chaldeans, Egyptians, Mesopotamians, and gave rise to many great oracles or prophecies. So okay. the prophecies themselves were based on multiple day and night observations of the heavens, reading some of the old predictions, mm -hmm. like how in the world they would come to these predictions based on just <laughs> that. I would love just to 100% discount all of the fortunes. Yeah. But some of it's like... Some of it's fun. You'll run into a few that you're like, hmm, that's spooky. Like tarot cards. If anything, I believe in tarot cards. Tarot or tarot? Tarot. Tarot. I've been seeing tarot my entire life. <laughs> tarot cards. Tarot. <laughs> no. I wouldn't say I'm hardcore about it, but I like getting my, my cards read. I think tarot cards can kind of let you see what you want to see or what you need to see. Mm -hmm. A lot of it is just letting you see the situation that you're in now. The cards will like interplay with each other. Say you have a strong presence here, but maybe in this other card you're guarded. Then you're like, you know, yeah, I actually am. I, I am being guarded. I should let my guard down with this person. That's how you get stabbed. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's interesting. Like it's, That's, that it's harmless and it's fun, I think. I'm going to get my tarot card read. I have an app. Do you want to have your tarot card That's read right stop now? Stop it. No. No, it's like weirdly. That's not it's weirdly, Stop it. It's weirdly accurate. It's a though. phone. I want a per, I want a, an old woman <laughs> that looks like she's been through the ringer. But I, okay, I've been doing this whenever I feel trouble mm -hmm. every now and again. And in general, 
I feel like it is really accurate to my situation. Okay. Which is weird. But how do they know who's pressing the dial to make the cards go off? What do you mean? It could be anybody's finger that's doing the cards. It's the energy. Kaylee, you're you're a slave. <laughs> uh, so do you want a basic spread? Love and relationship, career, future and choice, health, spirituality. Oh, hold on. I'll read those all over again. Basic spread. What's that? Maybe I should start. I've never done a spread before. Maybe I should uh, start with the basic. So, so the basic... Celtic cross is helpful in complicated situations and dilemmas. Either or spread, if you're trying to decide between something. Snapshot spread uh, combines the elements of emotion, spirituality, and desires. Can we just play Yu-Gi-Oh? Say the truth about your past, current, and future. That was just one? That was your basic spread. You do basic, basic. Okay, which one of those? Oh, God. You probably want Celtic cross or Snapchat. What was Snapchat again? Snapchat is like truth about your past, current, and future. Let's do that. Okay. I'm curious what your uh, impression is, though. So you can just pick it up and drag it up. Are you nervous? No. (laughs) Don't even think about it. Just pick. There's a lot of cards. Oh, my fucking God. Okay. This looks like it's going to be like a whole thing. So with the magic of editing, let's just fast forward through this. All right. So emotional past. A lot of skulls. (laughs) Oh, they want me to pick this guy right there. That's some bullshit. See how they make that one larger? Spiritual present. Set more realistic goals. <laughs> That's all it says. Set more realistic goals. Emotional present. Things are looking up. In general, people will respond to you with happiness, love, and goodwill. More than usually in the near future. You should be feeling good about life in general. You're going to die in two months anyways. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what? It doesn't say that. So, yeah, I guess there is a god, and I am the devil. Well, I mean, it was, like, all good stuff. Yeah, it was interesting, but also poor. it's too subjective. Go to heck, Jeremy. <laughs> um, I know a few people that swear by it. Yeah, people who believe in it tend to, like, really believe in it. Right. Okay. Um, I'm going to talk about the Oracle of Delphi. Have you ever heard of that? I have not. Oh, it's a pretty... So the Oracle of Delphi... <laughs> <laughs> One thing I learned when researching this is the Oracle at Delphi which is also called Pythia or the Pythia, is actually a title and not a singular person. You may be uh, saying to yourself, Oracle, Delphi, those are two words I don't know. (laughs) Uh, Well, an oracle is a priest or a priestess that acts as a mouthpiece for the gods in order to grant advice and foretell prophecies. And Delphi was an ancient Greek sanctuary, kind of like a city, located on Mount Parnassus. And it was there that the Oracle of Apollo gave predictions Mm -hmm. of the future what i find neat about the pythia actually is that the role always belonged to a woman they were by far the most significant oracle of that period maybe the most in all of ancient history oh shit most accounts attribute the pythia's soothsaying to the inhalation of special vapors that were rising from a a chasm in the grounds of delphi she's always described as speaking in a frenzied state speaking relative gibberish that would then be interpreted by priests as prophecies some people say she spoke in uh like a rhyme damn that's hot yeah like a four-line rhyme whatever you call those fuck yeah yeah a quatrain (laughs) quatrain someone asked her a question she's like "Uh, hold on let me write this out uh, (laughs) yeah uh what rhymes with plague So the Pythia came into the role of Oracle around the 8th century BC, they think. So they say. Yeah, if you choose to believe the history (laughs) books. There's different accounts as to how the Oracle first established, but my favorite one goes a little something like this. So, quick backdrop. Ancient Greece, like 800 BC, roughly, I think. 
in Delphi, obviously, and our story, like all great stories, begins with a Greek man and a couple dozen goats. <laughs> uh, so, one day, a goat herder noticed a deep crack in the ground. Uh, one of his goats fell in and must have inhaled the vapors and started acting really weird. So the goat man peeks in this crack and he inhales the vapors. This doesn't sound real. Okay. He, then the goat man peeks in and he inhales the vapors. He starts getting crazy. He's like, he oh. feels like he can talk to the gods. He's oh. feeling the Holy Spirit essentially. Right. So the goat man goes and tells the town folks, hey, town folks, I just inhaled these vapors on the ground. And I'm powerful now. And they're really good. They make me feel strong. And so the townsfolk go over to the crack and they say, well, let's see. And they inhale the vapors and they go crazy, <laughs> having like a practically an out-of-body experience. Yeah. And a lot of people went crazy. A lot of people allegedly jumped into the crack oh, and were never shit. seen again. And um, it was becoming a bit of a problem. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't think people jumping into big cracks in the ground uh, would, ha would be a problem. <laughs> this is ancient Greece. Yeah. So they really do believe that these vapors give you messages from the gods. With that in mind, the town decides... Enough's enough. We need to limit who can be around these vapors. So they said, let's have an assigned woman mm -hmm. that just hangs out by these vapors and, and she'll tell us what the gods are saying. So from there on out, the oracle, the Pythia, was an old woman who just dressed in ceremonial robes and she would hang out in this cauldron that hung over the crack. <laughs> I can just imagine an old woman crawling into a cauldron that's hanging over a crack in the ground. Yeah. Her old, got those they old ass up. knees. Like, right. You go up there and you knock on the cauldron and she just hangs over. Yeah. Her. <laughs> she can't hear for shit. Huh? <laughs> what? So the oracle would be seated in a cauldron-like apparatus. Vapors would feed into the cauldron and the Pythia would prophesize. It said that in the frenzied state, her figure would enlarge, her hair stood on end, mm -hmm. and her voice deepened. And in general, there's a lot of like shouting and shaking. And so these episodes, you know, probably seizures, um, <laughs> <laughs> seem to actually shorten the lives of the oracles. I think what this means is they started to go through old ladies faster and faster. Like, yeah. God damn, this isn't, this isn't good for them. But don't tell them because, you know. They're we, old. We don't need the old ladies anyways. What are they going to do, make stuff? They're going to knit me a sweater. So um, there's a whole process that's involved with talking to the Oracle. It involves goat sacrifice and all that stuff. But oh. um, in essence, the process goes as such. In her cauldron, the Pythia would enter a state called Aditon or Aditon. I'm not sure how it's pronounced. It's, it's Greek for inaccessible. Okay. Such as she would go into a trance, which is common uh, for a lot of shamans. Yeah. She would be holding uh, laurel leaves. Laurel branches are sacred to Apollo and uh, the temple was for Apollo. Yeah. She'd also have a bowl of spring water, which was taken from a nearby spring, and she would gaze into it. Okay. Which, as you mentioned, is a form of scrying. Yeah. For some reason, the oracle didn't operate during the winter months. Instead, <laughs> the oracle was only open to the public one day a month on the seventh day for the, I guess, the, the warmest months of the year, the summer yeah. months. And people who sought her advice were called consultants. And they would kind of wait in line to talk to her. Interesting. But wealthy people, like nobles and heads of state, they could just buy a spot in line and get there right, quicker. Right, naturally. So, yeah, yeah. Not much has changed. So just a quick explanation that I thought was interesting. Scientists theorize that those vapors could be a few things. Okay. So what I think is most interesting is the idea of ethylene gas, which I guess is like colorless, but it has like a faint, sweet, musky scent. And the thing about Delphi and the Pythia is, I guess the Pythia is named after some serpent that Apollo had killed in some legend. Mm -hmm. When the serpent died, it had like a very sweet smell to it. Oh. 
And I wonder if there's some connection there with that. Yeah. But also with ethylene gas, it can cause hallucinations, euphoria, which is kind of sounds like what they were experiencing when they were in these crazed, frenzied states. Right. In the 80s, geologists discovered that there was a fault line that existed beneath the ruins of the temple. And photos were taken following an excavation that revealed multiple vertical fissures that could have carried vapors up. Oh. So they're saying it started from under there and it would rise. So it's a pretty safe bet to say that the Pythia and their fortune telling were most likely influenced by ethylene gas. Hmm. Now, I want to end this with um, the story of Croesus. He was the king of this place called Lydia, which was like a kingdom in the Iron Age, sort of like in the Asia Minor area. Okay. So Croesus wanted to determine which, at the time, there was a lot of different oracles that people would go to. Croesus wanted to find the best one. So he was like the yellow pages of... Pretty much. So he sent out a bunch of ambassadors to talk to all these different oracles. And he had it mapped out where they would leave to talk to these oracles. 100 days from their departure, they would all meet with that oracle and they would ask, what is King Croesus doing right now on this exact date? Most of, I think all of them were horribly inaccurate or just too (laughs) ambiguous to really determine. But the oracle at Delphi gave a rather peculiar answer. The oracle at Delphi said, I know the sand's number and the measures of the sea. I understand the mute and I hear him, though he does not speak. The smell has come to my senses of a hard-shelled tortoise being cooked in bronze together with lamb's meat. There is bronze beneath it, and with bronze it has been covered. And when the ambassador returned to Croesus's palace and relayed that message, the king immediately bowed and pledged his allegiance to the Pythia, because... On that date, Croesus had made tortoise and lamb stew in a bronze cauldron covered by a bronze lid. So he immediately gives his thanks to Pythia and he sacrifices 3,000 animals. And he also melts a shit ton of gold and like riches, just oh. ruining precious metals. Okay. He's like, I'm going to destroy a lot of stuff. Thank you. All right. I'm doing it for you. I appreciate yeah. your truth. You did this. <laughs> you cutting, killed these animals. Cutting a cow's head off. This is for you. <laughs> um, but later on, Croesus consulted the oracle on matters of war. He rather famously asked the Pythia for advice in fighting the Persians. And when posed with the question of whether or not Croesus should attack the Persians, the oracle said... If Croesus goes to war, he will destroy a great empire. And so uh, that's music to his ears, right? Yeah. So he makes preparations and alliances, and his forces met with the Persian army at the Halus River. But the battle, however, was a draw, and both sides fell back. Uh, At the time, winter was rolling in, so Croesus and his men disbanded for the season, which I guess was customary at the time. But... The Persian king Cyrus did not follow suit and uh, instead ordered his army to press forward and attack. The Persians massacred Croesus' soldiers, uh, overtook his cities, and took Croesus prisoner. Some accounts say Croesus was then, I think, burned alive. And I did find one that said that he was kept as like Cyrus's slave. But either way you look at it, the Pythia's prophecy may have been a misinterpreted warning. Because, as predicted, a great empire had fallen. Damn, that one's deep. Yeah, right? So that's a little palate palate cleanser for you. And what I'm going to end on here with is a little bit more common uh, name in the world of fortune telling. And that would be Nostradamus. Born Michelle de Nostradamus. I know what you're thinking. Michelle? That's a lady's name. No, it's actually just French. But uh, he was born in France in 1503. 
So little Michelle grew up in a pretty supportive family that helped him get a good education. He was a very bright child. He was tutored by his grandfather, who was a pretty knowledgeable man. And his grandfather tutored him in Latin, Greek, Hebrew, and mathematics, as well as astrology. He went on to uh, study medicine and eventually became a physician, and he treated plague victims. What a nice guy. When he was at college originally, the bubonic plague broke out, and he had to leave college for a while. Because they were like, hey, uh, everyone's dying. Class is canceled. Mm -hmm. It's the worst snow day ever. Right. You guys have to go take care of people. Yeah. I know you don't know a lot. Most of you are going to be dead tomorrow. You might as well help people. He left school, and he traveled the countryside as an apothecary, doing a bunch of potions and whatnot. And when he returned to school in 1522, he did get some backlash for being an apothecary because I guess that was considered like a street doctor. Like, what are you? You're here to be a real doctor. Don't do some of that dirty street magic. He was actually renowned afterwards for treating plague victims because he had way better survival rates than the other doctors because washing hands is good. Yeah, exactly. Which is super weird that no one thought of that. Keeping sick people away from other people is good. Also good for him. Thanks, Nostradam. Thanks, Michelle. <laughs> uh, so he came back to school. He got his medicine license. Yeah. He then Latinized his name from Nostradam to Nostradamus. He also created this rose pill, which I guess helped cure mild cases of plague. It was it had rose hips in it, which are really, really rich in vitamin C, which I guess helped oh. people on top of the hygiene and everything. Right. So he earned a super good reputation. People were like, you're my hero. I love you so much. Kids would come up to him in the street and ask them to sign their boils. <laughs> Life went on. He married and had two kids. Then while on a medical mission to Italy, his wife and children died of the plague. Which immediately ruined his reputation locally because they said, we thought you were the plague doctor and you let your own family die of plague, which I think is a really mean approach to that situation. Well, he wasn't even there. Right. I'm sure his immediate thought was like, I failed them. I I should have been there. Right. And his community goes, you failed. You should have been here. (laughs) It's like, guys, come on. Give me a hug. I saved so many people and I couldn't save the people I loved the most. That's like every tragic hero backstory. Well, is he going to do great things? Um... Sort of. <laughs> <laughs> he was feeling kind of low, so he leaves town. But at that point, he was just sort of a broken-hearted wanderer roaming about along his travels outside of France. He has a psychic awakening. I couldn't find any specifics anywhere about what that was. I'm sure there's some book somewhere that talks about what his awakening entailed. But um, he started to predict certain things. Like, for example, he met this Franciscan monk named Felice Peretti. And... Nostradamus looked at him, I guess, and he said, you're going to be the next pope. And he's like, oh, gosh, sir. I sure hope so. Thank you. All right. Um, He was from Kentucky. (laughs) And later on, Felice Peretti was ordained as Pope Sixtus V in 1585. Oh, how how much later is that? Do you know? Let's see. He died in... When did uh, Nosferatu die? 1566. That means that he was ordained like 20 years after his death. Ah. Nostradamus eventually returned to France where he continued practicing medicine. He got remarried, had six kids. I guess he got over it. <laughs> He's like, I got to just start over you now. You just have to back then. And back then you really, it was probably fairly common. Um, and over time he kind of ditched medicine for the occult and he took to spending hours locked in his study, gazing into bowls of water, meditating into a trance, which is hydromancy. Or scrying. Can you imagine walking in on that? It's just like glazed eyes staring into a bowl of water. (laughs) And he just looks at you. (laughs) Dad, what are you doing? (laughs) 
there's going to be a World War II, son. <laughs> What's a world war? <laughs> he also started writing almanacs, and these almanacs were really popular. People loved them. In the almanacs, he would also include predictions for the coming year. Oh. Nostradamus continued to keep on writing and keep on scrying. <laughs> <laughs> and Don't we all? He writes this collection of stuff called The Prophecies, which I mean, it's not a collection of stuff. It's a collection of prophecies, as yeah. you can imagine. To avoid any possible persecution by the church, which you saw a little bit when you're talking about John D, where the church is like, hey, witchcraft. witchcraft. Yeah. So to avoid that, he would take his predictions and make them kind of obscure. He would use like certain words. He would change like the language mm-hmm. and he would turn them into quatrains, similar to the oracle. Oh. So Nostradamus uh, eventually kept on getting super popular. He got in with Europe's elite. And Queen Catherine, who was the wife of King Henry II of France, was a huge fan of him. She later made him counselor and staff physician for the uh, royal whatever, council, house, castle, castle, any of these words. You can pick them. Up to you. In 15... <laughs> I'm almost done. In 15... <laughs> and then in 1556, Nostradamus warned the king of a past prediction he had published a long time ago. And he said, you know, I, I'm just remembering this prediction. I think it may have something to do with you. You should be careful. Uh, The prediction told of a young lion who would overcome an older one on the field of battle. The young lion would pierce the eye of the older lion who would then die a cruel death. Terrible thing to tell a king. Yeah. Hey, I just want to warn you. I think you're going to die a cruel death. Stabbed in the eye. Also, uh, the break room's out of coffee. (laughs) Nostradamus warned Someone microwaved fish in there. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Nostradamus warned the king to avoid ceremonial joustings, for example. And then, three years later, the king was fatally injured during a ceremonial jousting when his opponent's lance pierced the king's visor and stabbed deep into his skull through the eye socket. It took the king ten days to die. Two lions, younger one kills the older one, pierced in the eye, cruel death. Hell yeah. Nostradamus died in 1566. He was like old with gout and he kind of predicted his own death. I think it's kind of a softball example where he he told his uh, assistant something along the lines of, by morning, I'll be dead. I mean, once you get to that point, you can just decide when to die. I don't think that's true. but (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, like uh, when people are on their deathbeds and they hold out for their family to be able to come see them. And then as soon as they do, they then they pass away. That's true. Yeah. So if I said, I'm going to die tomorrow, I'll just die tomorrow. If you have gout, that's how it works. Yeah. It seems to me that sometimes you, when you're about to die, like especially when you're old or sick, Mm -hmm. you know, which is really weird. But yeah, so a lot of Nostradamus' predictions are still discussed till today. Some people claim he predicted 9-11, Hitler, which is a little bit convincing, but still kind of out there. Yeah. And also the atom bomb. Right. You know, man, I'm fried. Are you fried right now? I am so fried. Yeah. We've Yeah. Okay. I, I'm like, I'm trying to yeah. move so that I stay awake. I've got a Charlie horse in my arm and my leg. Uh, yeah, oracles, Nostradamus, a lot of good stuff. Uh, Jeremy, what's your good vibration? My good vibration is the future. Oh. I can't see it. I can't tell it. But like we said earlier, I know that bad things will happen, but I know that good things will happen. Yeah, and you'll always be okay. Yeah, it's going to play out the way it plays out, and you do have a say in it. Right. You can control what you want, and you... You can do whatever you want, and I believe in you. Absolutely. You guys got this. My good vibration is when you're feeling down, 
know that you can reach out to the people that care about you. You've got friends that love you. You've got family members that love you. Also, I think to a certain extent, the state has to take care of you. So oh, right, you can always you can always you know, be the state's problem. I care always, about you. Yeah, we care about you right here. I care about you. Listener, you can email us at according to an idiot at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter at idiots accord and Facebook and Instagram at according to an idiot. Uh, if you did like this episode, please rate us on iTunes. Um, yeah, leave us a little review. Also, hey, listener, for every episode on Instagram, I upload like a cool little graphic. Oh, I think yeah. every episode, yeah, every episode that's always cool to look at. And also, if you follow us on Instagram, it's another reminder to tune in to your favorite, I hope, podcast. That sounds like a win-win to me. Uh, Well, thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time. And as always, stay spooky. I'm a caveman.